tonight, chapter 21. We'll pick up in verse 9, finish chapter 21, and the new Jerusalem. Now, as you look at this particular passage, as we finish up this concept of this new heaven, this new earth, and this new Jerusalem, remember, they're part of a whole. It's, it's not one or the other. It's not two and one. It's all three together. The Lord will roll back the heavens. The Lord's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. That new heaven, that new earth is not going to be like the one that we see now. Uh, it, it will be something completely different and heavenly. And so in order for us to have this completed picture, we now come to this new Jerusalem. And it's described in uh, fairly great detail. And so people have laughed at this passage for centuries. It's like it, it, to, to, the, to the mind of someone who does not know the Lord, uh, this, this is fantasy land. This is a myth. And, and I want to read this entire passage together and then embark on a journey as we really think about what the Lord will be doing when, when this new Jerusalem descends. Imagine this incredibly beautiful, monumentally different city than you have ever seen, ever in your entire There's nothing in your mind to compare it to descends from the heavens to the earth. And so before we dig in tonight, let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his wonderful word. Lord, we are again so privileged uh, in this country where we have so much freedom. And Lord, where your grace abounds to us to be able to read your word and study it. And we pray tonight that you would just encourage your, your church, that you'd strengthen us, that you'd give us boldness. Lord, that there would be a an undeniable flavor of Jesus in all of this, and that you would bless us as we read your word. Lord, would you help us to understand it? We ask all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Verse 9 here in Revelation 21, And then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came. Now imagine this. Think of this for a second. This is one of the angels that part of this angel's duties was to actually pour out the wrath of God. In other, in other words, this angel was, was part of that terrible scene as far as mankind is concerned when God finally says, enough's enough. You, you know, I've given you the age of grace. I've given you all this ability. And, and this angel is one of the ones that gets to see both sides. And we have to always keep that in view. God's, God's justice and his wrath, it'll be perfect. But also his glory and his love and his grace is also perfect. And so this angel gets to see both sides. And so this angel comes to, comes to John, comes to me, and talked with me, talked with John, saying, come, and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And so get in your mind immediately that this vision, though it's a city, is actually a picture of the bride, the Lamb of God, his wife. And so here's this incredible picture. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and to a high mountain. And he showed me a great city, the holy Jerusalem. I remember that Jerusalem means the city of peace. 
And so this is kind of the final picture, the final piece, if you will, of this new creation. There's a new heaven. There's a new universe, in other words. Remember, we looked last time, and there are three portions to what we would call the heavens described in Scripture. And it seems that the, the Bible in this passage is talking now about all three places. It, it's the heaven as we would call the skies the heaven. It's the heaven as we would call the universe itself. This great expanse of what we can look out with a, you know, a radio telescope, or we might go to the Keck observatories and on the Big Island of Hawaii as we stare out into space and we look across what is uh, now 3.7 billion light years of, of space and time, and as we look out across that great distance, we would see the heavens, the universe, the known universe, the expanse of the universe, and then additionally to that the heaven that's beyond that, which is the dwelling place of God. And so God has recreated from nothing a new place where he dwells, a new universe wherein we would currently be residing amongst all these hundreds and hundreds of billions of galaxies with hundreds of billions of stars and trillion upon trillions of heavenly bodies and asteroids and planets and this one unique place, this little blue ball in a solar system in the Milky Way galaxy. He's recreated our little solar system and our planet and there is everything is new. So don't make it too small. Because God's done something that the world says, well, well, that's impossible. If that happened, how could anything survive such a calamity as the destruction of the old and a recreation of the new and still the people that are here exist in this new heaven, new earth, and this New Jerusalem. You can see why people might be a little confused there. But if truly our identity is not the physical us, but the spiritual us, which is outside of space and time as we know it, then it becomes a simple thing for God. Because he created all of humanity eternal. The question is, where will you reside for that eternity? And so he creates, and now John is taken in the spirit to see this place, and he showed me a great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Now remember that no one up to this point in time has seen God and lived. The glory of God is beyond our imagining. His full glory, the Shekinah glory of God, no one could see it. It would consume us. His holiness would consume us in our present state. And so now the glory of God actually becomes visible in this new heaven, this new earth, and this new Jerusalem. So these are things that humankind has never known before. Having the glory of God and her light. And remember, the city is us. We're in it. The bride of Christ, the bride of the Lamb is in this city. And this is describing where we're now going to be dwelling. And her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And he had a great and high wall. She had a great and high wall. And you'll notice 
The pronouns used here, she, is speaking of the bride of Christ. Had a great and a high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates. And so you've, you've often wondered where this whole pearly gate came from. It's, it's here. It actually is in the scripture, but it isn't, you know, not every one of them is going to have Peter standing at them. Maybe he's going to be at one. We don't, we're not told. Great and high wall and twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So you can see there's a blending. You have the bride of Christ in this city. You have all of those who were the believers uh, of all of the Jewish people throughout all time. So this is the Old Testament, the New Testament. Everyone who's ever known and loved the Lord and has received grace. And three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. And now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so you have the children of Israel, and you have the New Testament saints. You have a completed picture of the church as God sees it. Remember that the Lord, when he came, he came for the Jew first and then the Gentiles. And so both now have a place in this new Jerusalem, in this new heaven, this new earth. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city and its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out in a square, and its length is great as its breadth. In other words, it's a cube. It's exactly the same height, length, width, and measured the city, and it was 12,000 furlongs, its length, its breadth, and its height are equal. And he measured its wall, and it was 140 cubits. And so this thing is massive. It's huge. According to the measure of man, that is, of the angel. And the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold. Remember, the city is pure gold. We're going to see the streets were also pure, but the city is pure gold. But that pure gold is like clear glass. And if you've ever seen an absolutely pure mirror, in fact, in our first really good telescopes, one of the things that was one of the most common ways to make the reflective surface of the backside of a polished mirror, for instance, when the mirror was installed at the Hale Telescope on Mount Palomar, which at the time was the largest telescope in the world, the reflective surface was gold. So it's polished glass with gold on the back side of it. And so this is that reflective surface which whatever is shining on it will bounce back. And it looks clear, it looks like you can see through it, and yet Really on the backside, is gold. the whole substance of it is gold. And so this is an amazing sight. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. And so you can kind of see this thing is just like, it, it's like a massive a stockpile of what the world would call the greatest show of wealth ever in the history of the universe. The whole thing is made out of gold and precious stones. And it's glowing with the glory of God. And its first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chaldesoni. The fourth was emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth 
chrysoprase. The 11th was jacinth, the 12th amethyst. And so you have this full rainbow of colors, and we'll go through these uh, as we break this down. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, and each gate was of one pearl. Now, these are huge pearls. So, you know, ladies, you know, if you get like a five millimeter, you know, you, get, you start getting a 10 millimeter, then you get a 20 millimeter. Those are big pearls. These are pearls that are entirely a single gate. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And so as you're walking through the streets of the city, you're seeing the reflection uh, of the glory, the Shekinah glory of God. Now, I want to stop here for a second. Because some people just, oh, this is just nuts. This is crazy. This is weird. This is, I'm not even sure I'd want to go there because it sounds, you know, it's like totally sterile. But remember that this is the glory of the Lord. So whatever the glory of the Lord is in reflection back to us in its fullness. So if in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy, can you imagine what being bathed in the full glory of the Lord would be like? So we compare it to our understanding basically of our vacation spots, right? Isn't that how, when you think about heaven, that's where most people go. It's like the most wonderful things that you would normally do in life okay, heaven will be like that on steroids or something like that. You know, so you instantaneously kind of go to your humanness and you derive from your humanness what you think heaven will be like. You have to throw all that away. This is not a picture of earth. It's nothing that we've ever seen or can know of. And so when you think about it, you, know, you, you kind of can't think of it in, in human terms. And I saw no temple in it. Now, this is an important fact. Because up to this point in time, man has generally gone to some place to meet with God. Maybe that's your prayer closet. Maybe it's here at church. Maybe it's, it's somewhere where you and God can get alone. In other words, God isn't instantaneously available because we're busy doing human life, right? He's there. You could have him 24-7, 365. But because of our flesh and because of the weakness of it, because of our own sin, because of the things that we are and do in this world is, we don't bask in the full goodness and grandeur and glory of God 24-7, 365. It comes, in essence, in waves. And sometimes you may even have a whole day to where it's just like, man, you're in the presence of the Lord. It's just glorious. Anybody ever had one of those days? To where you walk around and you're just like, oh, God, you're so good and you're praising the Lord. I can see we need to work on this. <laughs> Every once in a while, I have one of those. I'm just walking around. I was like, God, it's so awesome. I don't know what you're doing, but this is great. Now imagine your whole existence is the fullness of the glory of God. 20, there won't be time, by the way. Time will become unnecessary, but in relationship to what we understand today, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year, you're, you're going to have the fullness of the presence of the glory of God. So I don't know what that does to us, but I'm pretty sure it's really good. <laughs> so you won't need a temple. You won't be going somewhere to meet with God, you're going to be in His presence all day, every day. You won't need to go to a prayer closet because you'll be communing with Him constantly. 
You won't have that one special place because if you're like me, there are certain things that have to happen for me to be able to study. I, I, I can actually have sometimes a little bit of you know, disruption and people will come in and talk to me and I'm okay. But when I get down to the nuts and bolts, when I get to the final, it's like I need to turn on some praise music. I actually close my blinds because I'm like a butterfly boy. I look out the window and a bird goes by. I'm like, what was that? You know, it's, I'm just, that's the way I am. I get distracted and I, you know, I'm in the, I'm digging for gold and I'm like, Lord, come on, speak to me and I need to hear this. And then I'm like, and what was that car doing driving that fast? And I get up and I walk over there and I, you know, I close the blinds and I actually turn the lights down a little bit because even too much bright light. And I'm like, I'm trying to see the spots on the wall where the paint isn't even. Anybody ever, you guys do that? You inspect like the, you know, whoever textured this, there's a blob over there. We get distracted by life, right? Now imagine that you're not ever going to be distracted ever again from the glory of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. You won't have that problem. You're not going to have your human flesh anymore. You're not going to get distracted. Notice what it says next. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its, are its temple. In other words, you don't need to go to it anymore. You don't need to get away. You don't need to go on retreat. You don't need to find the Lord in the midst of a busy, carnal, earthly world. The existence you have is in Him. Remember, one of the things that we're told by the Apostle Paul is that we are in Him, the Beloved you're actually going to fully experience being in Him, the Beloved. Absolutely unbelievable. Check this out. And the city had no need for the sun or the moon to shine. For in it, the glory of God illuminated it. Can you imagine? You see, right now, what we think of, we we always... (laughs) Sometimes you ever do that? I don't know if you have nightmares to where you, you know, like the sun's not. I have apocalyptic dreams sometimes. It's the craziest. It's just, ask Connie. I, I, I have some whoppers, you know. It, but one of the dreams that I have occasionally is that the sun doesn't come up. And then like after a week of that, everybody starts freezing. And it's just like, it's this hideous thing. Now imagine that the glory of the Lord is your light and there's no need for the sun to even come up or in our case the earth to rotate so that we see it again. But imagine that the glory of the Lord is your light and there's no darkness for in Him there is no darkness nor is there even the shadow of turning in Him. So it's a picture also of sin being gone. No darkness whatsoever. And the Lamb is its light. Remember what Jesus is? He's the light of the world, right? So He wanted always and forever to be, and now He actually is. Because sin reigned from Adam to the end of the age, but now there's no sin, and so the light of the Lamb, which He always has been the, the light of the world, now he is fully able to shine. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. 
and the king of the earth bring her glory and her honor into it, and its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There's no night. Oh, we had a crazy thing happen today. Our, our brother Larry's coming back from the bank. He pulls into the parking lot, and, and he got robbed in the parking lot of the church. Cars followed him in. Two guys got out. They held him up at gunpoint. We're not sure exactly what kind of gun it was. He thinks it was an air gun. But we were robbed today in broad daylight. Now imagine that there's no more evil. You don't have to. I mean, we got to worry about it in broad daylight. We know what goes on at night. That's really not good. So imagine imagine that there's no night there's no evil there's no sin there's no tinge of it there's no stain of it there isn't any capacity for anyone ever again to sin oh hallelujah and glory amen glory and that's why and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it you see we weren't created to be like this we were created in god's image weren't we Were we not created in God's image perfect? But because of sin, and the wages of sin being death, we have the second law of thermodynamics that works on us. We have decay, we have entropy, and so we don't live forever anymore. But we were always intended to bear the full likeness of God. And so now we get it back. We have the fullness of it. They shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means anything enter into it that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's why those two books are important. You want to be in that Lamb's book of life because that's the glory of living in the holy city, which is the bride. And so this incredible picture... Now, having said all that, in our final moments here in this chapter, in this time as we wrap this up, think about these things. You see, one of people's common complaints about this passage is it's so far out there that there's no way in the world that's ever going to happen. Now, I'm old enough to remember back, I remember the very first episode of Star Trek. I know, it's dating me, but it's okay. And I remember, you know, this is a color. Remember, it was on Sunday night. Everything that was good was on Sunday night. It was on Sunday nights, and you waited, you know, and here comes the, you, everybody knew the theme song and the whole, so, so and then you, you got to our day and time to where people actually think that's real. We, we have folks that wander around in costume, you know, Live long and prosper. You know, they, they do these kind of things. There was a show. It only went for one season. It began in 1973, ended in 1974, called Star Lost. Some of you other ancient people in here may remember this. But the, the creation of this show was born from a, a science fiction writer named, named Harlan Ellian. And, and the basic premise of this was the world, some scientists had figured out that the world was going to cease to exist. And, you know, that's kind of like a major theme in science fiction movies. And, and 250 years would go by, and so these UN scientists decided they would create this giant space arc. 
And everybody would get on it, but they would be put on this ark in their social people groups. And their social people groups would be in their own little area. I mean, it was like, it was like crazy, not cool as far as the basic, you know, it's like you, you had to re- retain your cultural identity. And so there was an Indian part and there was, a, there was a part that was Latino. And the, it was just like, it was crazy. It was like, it's like, like hell. They segregate everybody out, and, and the scientists' predictions come true, so they launch this thing, and it's being built in orbit around Earth. And, and at the end of it, they all drift off after 500 years, and the doors come down, and they're locked in their apartments, and everybody croaks. It's like, it's like who wants to watch a show like that? But it had like this cult following, and yet it was a total bummer. You know, people believe all kinds of crazy things. I happen to like science fiction movies simply because they're usually completely mindless and they have nothing to do with reality, so I can watch them and I don't get engaged in them like, wow, I had that happen today. You know, because as a pastor, that's, the, what, that's what happens, you know. It's like if somebody, if there's a divorce or some child who's abused or something, that's like my day. That's what happens every day. And so I like things that are like the planet Nephron or something. You know, it's like, I know that's not real. But it is so strange because people really desire to know what the future holds, right? And yet your Bible actually tells you what the future holds. And it's this crazy, insane thing that you cannot imagine. What's going to happen? You know, we have all kinds of people that, you know, have their own things. And, and it's like, any of you have read the work of Dr. Ray Kurzweil. You know, he's the leader in artificial intelligence. And, you know, it used to be everybody had a Kurzweil piano because he actually invented the first synthesizer and all those kind of things. But he, he really is a, a pioneer. And he's actually come to the conclusion that artificial intelligence is really going to be bad because it's actually going to outstrip us and our ability to think, and pretty soon, you know, machines are going to take over. And if you've ever, and again, can't tell you to go watch them, and certainly they need to be edited if you do. But the Terminator movies are basically that principle, right? You know what I'm saying? So here you have these, these beings and this super intelligence that governs the entire world and humanity, in essence, and, and all of a sudden it turns on everybody. People love this stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, that could happen. And you have people that say, well, you know, that's where we're headed. Can I tell you that that's actually what 2 Timothy said would happen in the last days? Chapter 4, verse 3. And it says there very clearly, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, someone can come to them with the truth and they will not believe that truth. But well, according to their own desires, you see, people want to believe that maybe the sun is going to one day burn out, or, or that aliens are going to come like the new you know, Independence Day movie. They're going to come, and they're going to attack us according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, and they will heap up for themselves teachers like Scientology. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and they'll turn to fables. And they'll believe those fables. The number one thought process right now about what lies ahead for humankind 
is that aliens are going to come. You talk to most people, they're as likely to believe in aliens as they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're wondering, oh yeah, you know, I, I'm pretty sure they're in Roswell, you know, I mean, they, they found one, I know it. And they wander around talking about, you know, oh yeah, well they're going to, you know, they're going to come get us. And so this seems to me monumentally disingenuous and is a huge double standard because there are billions of people who believe that E.T. is going to phone home. You know, that, that extraterrestrial intelligence, an asteroid is going to come and wipe out the earth. Your Bible tells you that's not going to happen. It says very clearly what's going to happen in the last days. Amen? So I, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, what's weirder? A city coming down from a new heaven and, and coming to a new earth or E.T. phoning home? I'm thinking mine is a little more rational because it comes from the same book that authored salvation by grace and through faith. And I haven't found a single thing in here that to the point that we are in mankind's history hasn't been 100% accurate. I have no reason to believe that the rest of it won't be 100% accurate. And so whether we like it or not, whether we approve of what God has said about these last days, the truth is there's going to be a seven-year tribulation. Before that, the church is going to be raptured. He's going to set up his kingdom for a thousand years. He's going to rule. He's going to reign in righteousness. These things are factual. The end of that thousand years, Satan will be released, released for a short period of time. He's going to try and affect those that were born during that time that were not, did not come from heaven, do not have their heavenly bodies. And so there's going to be some that will be destroyed and cast into that lake of fire. The great white throne judgment is going to, going to ensue. And then for all those who have loved the Lord throughout all time, there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. To me, that's not quite as weird as people coming from a distant planet to take over our world and, you know, take us up into spaceships and probe our brains. To me, that's kind of far-fetched. But I believe what the Bible says, that I'm a child of God by grace and through faith. And so if he says he's going to create us a new heaven and a new earth, and he's going to send a city down that we're going to be a, the, the, the central focus of. I don't care whether people think it geologically can't happen. You know, I had this one guy, we got in this huge argument. I wasn't arguing, he was arguing, he's just like yelling almost. Well, you know, if a city that size descended on the earth, the geological ramifications of it would tear apart all of the tectonic plates and the earth would split into 17 pieces and we'd all be blown off into space. And I'm like, dude, chill. It's a new heaven. It's a new earth. I don't know how God's going to do all of it. I just know what he said. And I can believe that. As crazy as it sounds to you, it's a whole lot less crazy than you following around Mr. Spock all the time. <laughs> it's the bride city. The new Jerusalem is the bride city. And you see this. The seven bulls come and I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. What an amazing picture this is. Imagine that angel descending with this. And it's like, look, here it is, John. This is awesome. He's staring at it and he sees this vision of this new Jerusalem as it descends. 
this heaven-sent city. It's going to be a city of glory. It's going to be a city of light. And I believe this city actually is the, is the focus of the eternal state. In other words, when we think of state, not, not just state like a place, but state as in our condition. So when you think about it that way, it's like this is going to be eternal life. It's going to be the glory of God. Whatever that actually is that we, our little pea brains can't quite fathom tonight. Because there are things I don't understand about God. You know, people ask me, well, you know, what about... The, I have, sometimes I just have to say, I really don't know. God hasn't shared that with us yet. We don't have those bits and pieces of the puzzle. You know, any pastor that tells you they know everything is just not being honest. Because there are things we don't know. We haven't been given every single... Matter of fact, Scripture itself says, great are the mysteries of the kingdom. So there are things that we're not going to understand and not going to know. And I believe that in some ways, this is like that. But we know it's going to be a city of light and a city of glory. And so God's glory, His illuminating presence. And, and, and I would tell you that when this first stone is mentioned here, in, in verses 10 and 11, notice what it says. It says the jasper stone there in 11. That was the first stone in the breastplate of the high priest. The very first one. And so I think the Lord's saying, remember, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And he came to the Jew first, but they didn't receive it. And so I think it's a neat pointing towards all of those tribulation saints now having the place that the Lord intended for the Jewish people. I think it's going to be a wonderful picture of God's redeeming heart towards his chosen people, Israel. And so here, here they are, they're kind of the focal point and it's opaque, it's translucent, it's like a diamond. It's a symbol, I believe, of purity of what God's done with us. You, you see, when the prophet Isaiah said, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be made white as wool. In other words, he's going to completely cleanse them to the point that there's no more sin at all. That purity, that holiness, it, it's like the, in, in the tent of the meeting, the tabernacle, when the children of Israel wandered in the desert, one of the component parts was this incredible linen fence that, that ran all the way around the whole compound. So the bronze laver and the altar uh, of sacrifice, all those things were inside of this fence which represented the holiness of God. And so now we're inside of the holiness of God, complete as a unified people, no distinction, no race, no creed, no color, no other religion. We're not Jew, we're not Gentile, we're not completed believers, we're, we're not, you know, Baptists and Episcopalians. We're, we're just lovers of Jesus and the bride of Christ. Amen? Wouldn't that be glorious? And it's going to be the light of the Lord. He goes on to talk about these walls and gates. First of all, I want you to see something. These, these walls were high. They're really high, like 1,500 miles high. But they're not to keep anything out. It, it doesn't do that. They're beautiful. They're just for beauty's sake. It, it, there's nothing there to keep in, and there's nothing there to keep out. It's just the, the glorious decoration, if you will, of the Lord. I have, I've been around, I've been in some pretty high-end homes. And I can tell you, people do some pretty crazy things in high-end homes. 
And I had, a, I had a guy that was one of my clients when I was in business, and, and he built, uh, it's the coolest indoor pool that I've ever seen in my entire life. But half of the pool was outside, and half of the pool was inside, and there was a moving glass wall that could come over the middle of the pool through the water so that when you kind of didn't want to be outside, you could be inside. And I'm thinking, that was really... And he had lights that would shine on it, and it would change color and do all these weird things. And I'm thinking, just imagine that times like a billion. Like this incredible glass wall that can be turned into any kind of mood, just depends on how the glory of God hits off the foundation stones, and it shines, and you're just like in this crazy rainbow. Connie and I were up on the top of Mount Haleakala on Maui. And up there is one of the only places on the earth where you can see circular rainbows. They're full circles. And down inside of the crater, it's an extinct volcano with with the valley floor about the size of the city of Manhattan. And when you look down at the sun, it's just right because the sun always has to be behind you for a rainbow to happen. And there's fog down in there. If the sun's behind you, you can actually see a circular rainbow. And when you're looking at that, you're going, like, that is so awesome. Now imagine a whole city that can do that. That's 1,500 miles wide and 1,500 miles deep and 1,500 miles tall. And it changes color. But it's gold. It's like it's going to be amazing. Have these high walls, 12 gates. But it's the city of all believers. Having the Apostle Paul said of this place, I believe, in Ephesians 2 20 to 22, having built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets the New Testament and the Old Testament, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the foundation in whom the whole building is joined together. Can you see that whole building now? This whole building that's the body of Christ and Jesus himself paved the way. He's the cornerstone that we could all be joined together to actually be this gigantic city that the glory of God is is filling And it grows into the holy temple of the Lord, in whom also we are being built together for a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. God's going to be in this city. The city is the bride of Christ, and the glory of God's going to be in it. I think the Apostle Paul got a little picture of that when he authored the book of Ephesians. Hebrews 8 gives us a similar picture. And when you think about it, remember the faith of Abraham? What does Abraham do? I mean, you talk about a nuts thing. It's bad enough the whole Sarah in him thing and no kids. But then it's like, okay, now I want you to take off across a thousand miles of desert to a land that you know not. Sure. He walks by faith. He takes those first couple of steps. But by faith, it says in verse 8 of Hebrews 11, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to the place in which he would receive his inheritance. Now check this out. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. In other words, he, 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 he knew that wasn't it. He knew that place that he was even dwelling in was not what he'd been promised. It was just a picture of what he'd been promised. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs, 
of the same promise. In other words, they were made the same promise. But he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Guess which city it is? It's the new Jerusalem. He's going, wow. And the picture continues if you read the rest of that chapter. And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Look, this, is, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Amen? And it's coming. It's coming. Get excited about it. I think it's fascinating that Abraham's looking at himself like, well, this ain't it. Isn't it weird how we get attached to this earth? Think about it for a second. But this is a city for all believers. And sometimes people talk about heaven, they almost mourn like, wow, I want to stay here. Well, that's sad, brothers and sisters. If God says this is the glory of the Lord, you kind of need to be excited about that as a child of God. Not like, well, you know, we had leeks and onions and pots of meat when we were there. I have people all the time, it's like, well, you know, there's not going to be any seas, there's no surfing. Well, you don't even know that, actually. We know there's not going to be seas like we think of. Maybe you surf on gold or something. I don't know. You know, people always exclude all these things because your little pea brain can only think so far. We don't know what this is going to be like in its entirety. You see, don't be looking for that, that old Egypt to, to rise up. Be looking for the new Jerusalem, that city whose builder and maker is God going to be amazing this is going to be one block party on steroids that's all i can tell you in lomita it seems like every other street on fourth of july is a block party they block it off and i don't even know where they get these fireworks i think they come from the nuclear regulatory commission because they're bigger than the ones that got launched in torrents by the pros some dude was like at one o'clock in the morning i'm like and you know i'm trying to sleep and the whole sky lights up it's like i don't know what that was it could have been a nuke honey go back to sleep (laughs) but this city is going to descend from the heavens and that footprint that you're looking at on that map we don't know exactly where it's going to land but it wouldn't surprise me if it's over the old jerusalem I don't know, because he's going to remake a new heaven and a new earth, and there's not going to be any seas, so it's going to come someplace. But if it were the size described here, which is 1,500 miles cubically, uh, that's the footprint. It would cover all of the shores of North Africa, you know, a good part all the way to Italy from Jerusalem. It's a huge, gigantic, massive city. It'd be 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, and 1,500 miles high with walls that are almost an acre deep. So think about it. If you have a chunk of property, 208 feet square is an acre. These walls are going to be deeper than that. That's some thick walls made out of gold that's clear as glass. And so this is a giant, giant, giant city, and it descends from the heavens and he gives us a picture of all these stones. And the, the, the awesome thing to me is they're very similar in the breastplate of the high priest. And so it begins actually with the first one. There's two in there that are kind of not in the same order. But in essence, they're the same colored stones. 
And so you have jasper that's clear, and, and uh, it, it could be like a massive diamond. You have a sapphire, which is generally a, a very clear but blue. Uh, Chalcedony is, is green, and so you've got clear and blue and green, and then you've got a bright green emerald underneath that and a reddish-white onyx and a fiery red carnelian, uh, a transparent kind of gold stone. I mean, this is insane. Now, these are the foundations. Now, if you know anything about building, foundation is usually concrete, it's ugly, and it's under the dirt. That's why they call it a foundation, because it's not meant to be visible. This one's meant to be visible. And it really represents the completed church, because it takes into account that the the colors are, are the very same as the breastplate of the high priest. We're told that it represents the church itself. And so this incredible, brilliant rainbow, remember the whole city is basically clear. And so as the glory of the Lord bounces off of this, these colors are going to get refracted everywhere. If you travel with us to Israel, one of the places that we go is the Holocaust Museum, Yad Vashem. It's one of the most moving places, I believe, on the planet. And personally, I believe that anyone who can should go there. Because it just, it actually will, in many cases, changes people's lives and how you view uh, the sovereign hand of the Lord and what, what he does in his workings of man. But one of the parts of that museum is the Children's Museum. And the Children's Museum was set up to, to be unbelievably moving. When you go into the hall, there is a constant speaking of the names of the children that died in the Holocaust. And so when you go in, it takes about 10 years for those 1.5 million names to be repeated. And so as you walk in, but the second thing, and the thing that I, I would speak to here, is when you walk into Yad Vashem, there are four candles those four candles, by mirror and refraction, are split into 1,500 different points of light. And so when you walk in, there's the reflection of these four candles that have now just bounced around mirror row after mirror row after mirror row, and you see the representation of 1,500,000 lives. Now imagine that this city represents every single believer who's ever lived. And it's lit with the glory of God. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know when I walk into Yad Vashem, it's like all I can do to get out the other door with just my, I'm unhinged. You know, I can imagine the glory of the Lord will probably unhinge me even more. Amen? Notice the, when you think of these things. Now, now the earth's surface is roughly 197 million square miles. I'm going to give you some stuff just so you can think about this. It's a less than perfect sphere. It's, you know, about 8,000 miles or so uh, in diameter. But if you take this city, because remember, it's a cube, and you can live anywhere in it, so we're inside of it, not on top of it. And so people think, well, you know, we're going to be really confined inside. We're going to be inside of this cube. No, it doesn't exactly work out that way. Because if you take and square these things up and you make cubes of square miles, 
It's 17 times larger than the surface area of the entire earth. So you'll have way more space than you've got now. And you'll be wandering around. I don't know how many of you have ever had the, the opportunity to walk an actual real English maze where you get in there where the hedgerows are like 12 feet tall and you start walking around and you find out that the whole thing's in like, you know, a 200 by 200. It's like on an acre, but it takes you like a day and a half to walk through the whole thing because you're like, you go down here, and well, it's not over there, and you go over here, and it's not over there. I, can you imagine with God's creativity what he could do in something that is 3.375 billion cubic miles of space? Cubic miles. Do the math. It's real simple. 1,500 times 1,500 times 1,500 is 3.75 billion cubic miles of space. That's 17 times more space than we have on the surface of the earth right now. If you broke it down by population, you can see that little map with the U.S. on there. If you live like people do in New York, we'd all fit in Texas. The entire population of the world. If we live like people do in Texas, you'd look like that orange map there. It'd take up about two-thirds of the United States. That's right now. That's seven billion people would fit in there with the current space requirements of people who live in Houston, Texas. So don't think that God's like jipping us by confining us into a city that's just 17 times larger than the total surface area of the earth. Okay? It's going to be awesome. Just thought I'd square that away for you. It's a question I get asked all the time. It's like, well, you know, we're going to live in a city. I lived in a city all my life. Well, not one like this you didn't. Amen? Those 12 pearly gates, gates of pearl, and, and, the, and the stones. You know, we, we have this incredible picture. Now, I would remind you that Jesus actually gave us a little insight into this because I really think he's talking about these gates representing humankind. Remember, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found the one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and he bought it. I think these gates represent people. So I don't know if Peter's going to get to sit at one. Maybe you're going to be watching over. I don't know. But I know this. Whatever these gates are, they're precious to the Lord because he purchased them with the, with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so these gates representing the openness of God's kingdom, there's not going to be any closure. You're not going to go there. Anybody ever hate going somewhere and finding out it's closed? It's the most frustrating thing. Isn't that the worst? You like you misread your smartphone, you looked up the hours, and you didn't realize it was in Bulgarian time or something, you know, and you go there and it's like it's like we're closed for the next year. And you're like, ah. Heaven's never gonna be closed. The new heaven's never gonna be closed. The new earth is never gonna be closed. The new Jerusalem will never be closed. And can I remind you also that this doesn't actually say that we're just confined to just this city. Maybe where we actually dwell most of the time, but it doesn't say we got to stay there. So I don't know what God can do. You know, people will say, well, can God do this? There's two things you want to remember. Never say what God can't do and never say what God can do because nobody knows. You'll always be wrong. So I avoid that question. So, well, can God do this? Well, I believe he probably can, 
but maybe he would choose not to. Or, or maybe God won't do that. Well, I don't know. Maybe God won't do that, but he could. Leave the door open for God to be God. It's always a wise thing. You don't back yourself into those proverbial corners where it's like there's no way out. But I know this, whatever it is, it's going to be incredible. And it says finally that I saw no temple in it. There isn't going to be a church, so to speak. We're not going to need one. There's going to be no need for a church inside of this city. There won't be a need for the temple. There certainly won't be any need for sacrifices. There won't be any need for us to gather together that way because the fullness of what we experience in part when we gather together and we praise, like you guys were singing tonight. It was awesome. I'm sitting there and listening. I was like, this is kind of going to be like heaven like this, Lord. They're, they're praising you and they're blessing you and they and they want to reach out to you, and they, they want to see your glory fall in this place. Now imagine you don't have to try anymore to blot out the things of the world. You're, you're not coming, and you know, one of the reasons that we have worship before the Word is to prepare our hearts, right? Because we come in carrying all the cares and the worries and the concerns of the day, and you're weighted down in those burdens and the junk that we carry in with us, and we want to get right. We want to be able to receive, so we praise the Lord. We offer up a sacrifice of praise. Now imagine that your heart will be in tune with the Lord all the time, and you're going to be like you're in the center of the Lord's will all the time. Hallelujah. You see, you're not going to need church. So for everybody who's like, you're kind of tired of church, heaven's going to be no church because it's going to be all church. Isaiah 60 says this in verse 19 and 20, And the sun shall no longer be your light by day, for the brightness shall be the, nor shall the brightness of the moon give you light, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God your glory. And your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be ended. Amen? Man, that's that city as it comes down from heaven. I can't wait. Time's ready. I don't know about you. My ticket's, I got, I got a ticket. I got a ticket. And I'm not talking about the one from Officer Friendly. I got a ticket for heaven. I got a ticket, and it's marked heaven. That was paid for with the blood of Jesus. And it says, admit one. And there's a register of all those tickets, and they're in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm going to have you stand and have the worship team come back up. Brothers and sisters, it's just time to, to get ready. It's time to rejoice. You know, life's, life's difficult at times. But we as the body of Christ, we have so much to look forward to. Our life should be filled with joy and expectation. Think about it. And I think if we pondered heaven a little bit more every day, instead of the, the war that we're in, yeah, we're in the war, but ponder heaven when you're in the war. Think about the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem that you're going to be a part of. And so I simply want to close tonight. I'm going to have some of the pastors come forward.
And there might be somebody in here tonight, you're not sure. You don't know. You're not positive if you took your last breath on the way home. You're, you're not certain that if you were to exit this earth, you're not certain that you'd stand in the presence of God. That promise of Paul to the church at Corinth there in the Second Corinthians 5, you're not sure that promise is yours. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But maybe tonight you are sure that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and you're one of those. You, you recognize that there's something that's between you and God. And so I'm going to ask that we all bow our heads, our hearts, and for you who love the Lord, know the Lord, would you be, please be praying right now? And I simply want to just make an invitation. I want to ask you a simple question. Do you know for certain that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life? And if you don't, and you want to know, would you simply put your hand up in the air? Just raise your hand where you're standing right now doesn't matter where you are. and We're not going to do something weird. We're not going to come hunt you down. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see these hands. They're all over the sanctuary. We praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for these hands. And those of you that have raised your hands, please hold them up so I can see them one more time. Just raise your hand. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We just want to pray with you. You're going to pray out loud. And body of Christ, would you pray with so that they know that we're all in this together? And so those of you that raise your hands, please pray after me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to come into my life. I want you to write my name in your Lamb's book of life. I'm asking you to be my Lord. I'm asking you to take ownership of my life. Help me forsake sin. Help me to live my life for you. I thank you, Lord, for saving me. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Welcome to the family of God.